it would be that there's nothing more important than being happy in, in what you do. And that no amount of money is, is worth selling that for. And you know what? At that time, if someone had uh, given me 50,000 for a year's coaching, it would have turned to dust in my hands. It, it would have been a pretty terrible thing, actually. It would have just been a adornment on the unhappiness of my own absence. Welcome to the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the bullcrap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. I met today's guest at a coach training event uh, in London in the summer of 2014. I remember it being really hot, actually. And um, gosh, I think that feels a long time ago for both of us. Um, and we chatted about that recently, and he once again demonstrated his astuteness in his reflections on what he saw going on at that event. Like me, he's very much an advocate for being human and is able to cut through much of what I'll just call the pseudo-spiritual bullshit we so often see out there, wherever there is. Um, he's been working as a hypnotherapist and coach in the area of addiction and recovery for over a decade. Currently lives in Switzerland, snowy there at the moment, I think, and um, used to be based in Harley Street in London. Um, we'll get to hear more, obviously, about his profession and his journey, but for me, he's, I'm just really happy, actually, to be hanging out with him. He's a fellow footy fan, someone who likes a bit of banter, and I know he loves a cup of tea. So a big, warm welcome to you, Hugh Osborne. Hello. I feel thanks for having me here. Oh, I'm very happy to have you. It's like, gosh, I don't even think actually. I know we, we, I think we, we were certainly in the same room, right, at that event, uh, twenty fourteen. But I'm not really sure that we connected. And I, and I, when I look back at who I was at that event, it's probably very subdued, very passive. Probably didn't really. Even though I think I might have been one of the team leaders, I'm not sure. But. Um, yeah, when you look back at that, by the way, what do you, what do you what do you what do you see about yourself then? What I see about myself uh, then, when I was in that room, yeah. um, well, you know, I was just reflecting this morning about great conversations I've had, and around about that time, I had a conversation with a coach named Chris Morris, who you maybe uh, know yeah. of, and. Uh, he said something to me um, that really kind of changed my direction and shook me out of that uh, place that I was in. He said to me, if you think something's missing from your coaching practice, from your business, it's probably you. And, you know, that hit me right between the eyes. It was a hard one to take. But um, I would say, yeah, there was much going on in that room a lot of insights, a lot of ideas of who and what I could be. But essentially, I was missing. Mm. I yeah. was missing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's so simple so, and profound. 
so simple and yeah. yet profound, isn't it? So let's start where we normally start. It might feel like a bit of an obvious question for somebody who's an ex-addict, but um going to ask it anyway. I always like to start here just to give our listeners a, a little bit of a backstory. But what, what got you into, well, I guess, personal development? And then at what point did you... Um, come to see that you wanted to also be a, a therapist and, and a coach. Sure. Okay. Um, so at the time when my kind of main sort of drug addiction ended in the nineties, uh, there were a number of things happening in my life. There was an important relationship that uh, broke up. It'd been a big relationship for me. And also my mum was um, uh, dying of uh, cancer you know there was no way out of that she was going to go so I had these um it was like a uh, meeting of uh, three kind of uh, key things and there was a day where I was kind of walking through the streets of Soho because that was where I worked at the time in a uh, hairdressing salon there hairdressing was my first career and I kind of couldn't find anything that I would uh, call myself. It's like everything that I thought I was had been kind of ripped away. And obviously I don't like to um, kind of make such comparisons, but if you read um, Victor Victor Frankl's book about when he was processed in um, Auschwitz, he said one of the things they wanted to do was to like kind of rip you away from your humanity you know, to strip you down to the bare bones and give you this barcode. So I kind of felt a bit like that. Obviously, I wasn't in Auschwitz. I wasn't in the concentration camp. But there was this kind of question, like, what's the point? What is the point? And what came to me was, well, I'm suffering like hell here. And I don't want other people to suffer like this. So if I can find a way through this to the uh, other side, then a time may come where I can help people to do the same. Mm. And it was that idea that kept me going, that one day I might get to a place where I can help people to come out of this place that I'm in. And of course that took a while, but that was the, that was the uh, beginning of it essentially. And from there, I noticed that when I was working in the salon, I really preferred helping people with their problems to, you know, giving them a haircut. You know, you give them a haircut, you know, maybe they're happy with it for a couple of weeks or something. But if you can just sort of listen to people and, you know, maybe like give them something, then, you know, that's potentially uh, life-changing, right? So I think that's where coaching started. It started in, in the salon and um, just like serving people really um, that taught me out of this kind of contraction of the place I was in. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm also curious as an aspect of me, I'm just curious, like what was the drug addiction aspect of your life really like? Is there anything you could share about that? Yeah, sure. So um, it was out of control. Um, It was definitely out of control. And, you know, I know I was looking for something. I was looking for something that I'd not been able to find in in the places I'd looked. 
And I know that I was avoiding things like big things that I really needed to uh, take stock of things that I'd not addressed since, you know, I'd been an infant basically. So the drugs, you know, the cocaine and the uh, cannabis that I was smoking, they gave me a way to kind of control uh, my uh, state. So cocaine would kind of lift me up and give me this sort of artificial confidence and sense of connection with people. It would take me out of um, the kind of troubled place within myself. And then like, if I got too high, I could always have a joint and kind of bring myself down. So I developed this way with it where I could kind of regulate and uh, balance. But of course, I'm no different. Like when you are using things like that, to regulate yourself it depletes you gradually and the depletion reached such a point where i was just completely paranoid completely depressed uh, anxious all of the time and uh it was it was horrible and I, I remember um because it came to a head when i kind of found myself in hospital uh, one day and just there was nothing wrong with me but when I turned up in the emergency room they were worried enough about me to bring me straight in and you know I remember a couple of days before that or a day before that for some reason I'd been into a church I was kind of wandering around aimlessly and I came to this church in the middle of London like you sometimes do and I just like went in and I lit a candle and knelt down and I just like prayed for something I didn't even believe in God you know I wasn't a Christian but I prayed for something and uh, you know, I don't know if it made a difference, but my prayer was answered because when I found myself on that hospital bed, um, I knew that was it. I knew I was done. Um, I knew I wasn't going to do my life the way I had been doing it anymore. And that was a um, decision that of course had consequences because I remember coming out of the hospital after they discharged me and my phone uh, ringing, messages coming through. And I knew that those messages and those calls were not for the person that I had been that morning. Mm. The person they were trying to reach no longer um, existed. So <laughs> massive, massive identity crisis uh, ensued. But um, yeah, it's, it's not the way you should do it in hindsight what would have been nice would have been to go into some sort of uh, nice rehab uh, place and uh, have some uh, support. But, you know, I, I did it at the bare knuckle end of things because I didn't know any better. I didn't know what I needed. So, yeah. and, and, you know, this podcast is really about like the coach's journey. But having said that, I think we can all relate, gosh, as human beings, right? We have... We have addictions. That seems to be like that's just that's part of the nature of being human, that we develop addictions, particularly through looking to change our states, the searching, the chasing, gosh, even spirituality can be an addiction. Um, and, I, and I want to understand really about what your, like what your journey has been yeah. through being a hypnotist, therapist, coach, and how you're combining that all together and publishing your book, all of that stuff. I want to hear a bit more about that. But... I, I'm probably going to jump around a little bit, but I want to like, just since we're on the subject now, like what clearly you having been through these experiences yourself must be immensely helpful in how 
mentally useful and yeah. real in how you can help your clients. So can you speak to that? Like, is there something in particular that jumps out to you? Is it just the mere fact that you have been in a similar state to, to where some of your clients are? I know there's um, pretty much nowhere I'm afraid to go. Hmm. So I, I think it does help that I've been uh, kind of lost in the desert, so to speak. And I found a way out and I don't mind kind of going back in there again and leading people um, out. So I think a lot of addiction therapy is done by clinicians who have studied the maps very well, but haven't necessarily been kind of deep in the uh, sort of terrain itself, in the territory itself. So I think it does give me an advantage. I can usually kind of sense where people are at and I can go to that place with them. And I know the steps that are needed to bring them out if they're willing to take them. So yeah, it does help a lot. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I, I get it and I recognize that. Oh, well, I hope that I can help people move through this in the way that I have and indeed am so what's what's kind of the story then into okay yeah i'm going to become a, a therapist and and you know how did you start like what what's kind of the backstory with that well i remember after it all fell apart um obviously my mum passed on um i had a few things to do lots of debts to clear some business to sort out but um, as quickly as I could, I was uh, with my backpack on and on the plane to uh, Asia, you know, going off to see temples and beaches and to try and find some spiritual uh, answers. And uh, I remember one very important conversation that I had with um, a stranger, actually, on the, on the beach one evening. I was, I was sat there and I was kind of saying how I wanted to help people. But I didn't think um, I could help people because of the place that I was still in. I was still coming out of all of that mess. I was still kind of building up my own life, really, and struggling to find who I was. And, you know, I don't know if I even agree with what she said now, but she said to me, you help yourself by helping others. And it was a very profound thing. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I do. Maybe I do help myself that way. And so I started, I think it was around about 2003 by this time. Uh, so it was a few years later. But I started just um, sitting on the beach each evening and just inviting people to have conversations. And kind of that's how it started, really, just through having conversations with people. And then I thought, well, I need something. So I remembered hypnotherapy from when I was a kid. My mother was an alternative uh, therapist, so I wasn't really taken to the doctor. I was always taken to someone who put crystals on my forehead or, you know, <laughs> um, did some kind of weird shit with me. And some of it was bullshit, you know, like some of it I'd look back and think, oh, my God, you know, how could she ever believe that would be helpful? But um, one guy she took me to was a... Um, he was an old man who was a hypnotherapist and uh, 
God, he he was cool. He he was cool. He he did some um, you know, cool shit with me when I was like 13, 14 years old that made me um kind of realize the uh power of um my mind and how it could influence me in different ways. So I thought, well, that's the thing that's made the biggest impact that I that I can remember. Why don't I start there? So I started training as a hypnotherapist, but I was kind of shocked by um what the training was and what people's understanding of it was that the way they were doing it was like, right, you know, um, uh, fixing things and, um, in kind of pasting over things. They weren't actually kind of getting into any sort of self inquiry process to actually sort of examining, you know, what it is that's, making you do what you do. They were just kind of like papering over the cracks. So I took the skills, but then I decided to do something completely different with them. I thought, I'm, I'm not doing that, that stuff. You know, I want to help people actually explore, you know, what's going on here. So gradually, that's what I did as I started my practice. I started it that way. It's about inner exploration. How do you end up? How do you end up in Harley Street? <laughs> yeah, interesting story. Uh, well, like most um, coaches and therapists, I struggled like hell. You know, when I first started, I mean, I'd, I'd got a my my son was only um, three years old at the time. You know, um, I mean, younger when when I first started, and my wife was in uh, university doing a full time degree. So, and of course, I had to make the money. So I was still working my old job as a hairdresser. So I literally had one afternoon a week where I could do something. And so I decided, right, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll just open my home up and invite people to come to my home. And a couple of people came, but I needed to do a bit more. So I tried a few different uh, therapy uh, practices and therapy rooms around uh, the city of London, but like, I didn't really get much. And then I noticed people who were in Harley Street, maybe because of the uh, kudos, the uh, reputation, they seemed to be doing well. So I thought, well, I don't really like the um, whole idea, but, you know, why don't I play the game? Why don't I, you know, play the game? Because, you know, I, I need to have a viable business. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that. I went into Harley Street. I, you know, put on my website, Harley Street hypnotherapist, you know, addiction specialist, all of that, put a little kind of brass plaque on my door and things. And within about eight months, I had a viable business. I had a business that was, you know, it wasn't making, um, uh, you know, a huge amount, but I was, I was making enough to support my family. And that was a big thing for me. I think it's so, a huge milestone, actually, for for yeah. most coaches to get to the yeah. point where you can support um, even your current standard of living. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in London, um, you know, that's quite something because it, it costs uh, a lot of money to live there. I used to be, well, I still am very opinionated about the coaching profession. That's one of the reasons I like doing this podcast. Um, very, very opinionated, but I, I guess I have a much lighter relationship with my opinions generally. Anyway, that's a definitely evolved. So, like, I, I, I can even I can just find my own, I don't know, 
find my own opinionatedness um, amusing, if that makes sense. But yeah. there is this thing that I would I would struggle with, and indeed that's how this podcast um, was born. Because I, I, you know, one of my previous mentors, I mentioned it numerous times. I just there's a story around that that I just I felt like he was embellishing a particular story that involved me and whatever. So okay, I create this podcast to cut through all of that bullshit, and yet. Yes, I think there is a game to play. And um, somebody mentioned to me, I was having a conversation with him, and he, and, and he, he was very upfront. He said, look, I, I don't really mind what people believe about me if it gets them in front of me. Yes. And, and then puts them in a position where I can support them and I can help them. Like they can believe anything. They put me on a pedestal, it doesn't matter. And, and I think, ah. Oh, you know, you're, you're kind of right. It's, it's, and I notice there's, there's with everything that's going on in the world, I'm, I make a, <laughs> I make a choice that whilst I have some pretty, yeah, some pretty strong opinions about what is going on in the world. I, I also recognize, look, what is most important to me is, you know, aside from, you know, the usual family, friends or whatever, but from a, from a work perspective, I love getting people in front of me I get excited about that somebody is in front of me I'm just excited at what might be possible so I actually whilst I, I don't ever intentionally mislead anyone you can believe whatever you want about me if that brings us together and then you'll come to see <laughs> invariably you'll come to see that there's just this fallible human being Yeah, cool. And I, and I and I'd really get that about about you. So so for me initially, I was kind of resisting playing that playing that game. And uh, like I say, I, I don't want to intentionally miss. I don't want to embellish or mislead, um, misrepresent. So there is there's always an element of uh, I always have an awareness. I want to be honest, but. If you want to believe, oh my gosh, Phil has life down, Phil has life nailed, <laughs> one thing, you couldn't be more wrong. But if that means you reach out to me and we have a conversation and then, you know, then as a relationship that develops out of that, that, that helps you create the kind of life that you want to create, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Yeah. 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 It's just interesting to play the game. Interesting to yeah. play the game. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, one of my um, uh, influencers, uh, a guy, uh, Trevor Sylvester, who trained me in the best kind of form of hypnotherapy I know. Um, he has this uh, saying, you know, we're all fellow strugglers. And sometimes, you know, I say that to clients, you know, I'm, I'm a fellow struggler like you. And one of the values I hold is um, imperfection. Mm -hmm. <laughs> might, might as well. Because that's what I am, and that's what I will be. Absolutely, and I have to say, you know, there's a, a kind of that personal development 101 is that constant striving, all that Tony Robbins stuff, constant, never-ending improvement. The what do you call it? The principle of can I constant and never-ending improvement. I was like, God, yeah. bollocks to that. I, I don't actually, I don't want to live my life that way anymore. I certainly did for a while, and I just find that I'm spending my whole life preparing rather than just living it. Like, to me, that's been a, a huge shift. 
into into that really acceptance so i love that the, the a value of imperfection like for me i feel we're probably being our most authentic when we're inauthentic simply because yes. that's <laughs> that's how human beings operate yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, it is and you know the um Tony Robbins and whoever else of uh, this world who, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't say he's perfect himself, but I'm sure, you know, there's plenty of people who project that um, onto him. You know, only, only he knows who he is, you know, for those kind of five minutes when lights are out and you're falling asleep at night. You know, that's when you kind of uh, get to kind of be with who you are, isn't it? And sometimes when... I was kind of caught up in the momentum of that place where we were in 2014. You know, I, I used to kind of go through uh, my days like, you know, supercharged this and that. And then you lay down at the end of the day and everything's quiet and go to sleep and think, fuck me, I'm depressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fucking depressed. What was that? <laughs> That whole comparison, and, and um, there's a couple of years there where I really immersed myself in some teachings where I was probably the worst coach I've ever been, even though you know, I did experience for some financial success. But um, it's funny, somebody who coached me last year helped me to see, oh, I really started coaching <laughs> a long time ago and I didn't know I was coaching. And therefore, because I wasn't trying to be a coach, I was really present with the people that were in front of me. And that's probably, you know, perhaps some of the most impactful conversations that I had in, in those in those 30 years. Indeed was when I'm not trying to be somebody. And I'm not trying to be a particular kind of coach so yeah you and I we've sat in rooms where people present that kind of persona of how you how you need to be and and gosh don't get me wrong I've learned I learned so much from that time but um and it's really easy if you are struggling to make a uh, to generate income to create clients to connect with people if you're insecure it's really easy to latch on and to be fooled into again you know a photoshopped image of what it's like in the to create to create a, a viable coaching business yeah 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 what i really struggled with um and i struggled with this um personally as well as aside from seeing it i got caught in this was the kind of sense of entitlement that was around at that time yeah it's like you know i'm a coach and therefore you know i i can just you know ask for those uh, massive fees you know i can you know do all of that stuff without actually the kind of groundwork and uh, foundation to to back it up why, why would someone pay me yeah fifty thousand for a year of coaching. Why would they do that? Would I pay myself that? Mm. As I was back then. Mm. Certainly not. That's funny because one of the questions I wrote down here was, you know, so looking at that uh, 2014 event where we first met, what do you think would have been helpful to know then that you know now? How would you summarize that? 
Well, it would be that there's nothing more important than being happy in, in what you do. No, no amount of money is, is worth selling that for. And you know what? At that time, if someone had uh, given me 50000 for a year's coaching, it would have turned to dust in my hands. It, it would have been a pretty terrible thing, actually. It would have just been a adornment on the unhappiness of my own absence. <laughs> so that's that's. It, it sounds it sounds simple, you know. And a, a lot of um, I know a lot of the people who were in that room with the kind of energy and attitude that was uh, there at the time, they would have kind of dismissed that as uh, flaky or simplistic or spiritual, whatever. But if I come back to uh, myself and listen, really listen. That's that's what's most important. It's, it's just to be happy in what I do. Can I agree with you more? I mean, again, I, I know I fell into the trap, but I can't describe it any more simplicity, really, other than chasing the money. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, uh, chasing the money, and, and and I'm sure you and I see it all the time. The uh, the 18 and 20 year old straight out of college offering to help you build a, a seven figure business. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, just chasing the money. Whereas, um, I don't work with many other coaches, but those I do, the, the initial focus is always on who you are <laughs> yeah. when you're with somebody. Yeah. How are you being yeah. when you're with somebody? Yeah. Um, so to me that looks, I think, um, yeah, I was astounded. Like uh, that that event was uh, the the third one. I did four in total. Uh, I, I I went to the first one the September the previous year. You know, flew all the way from from London to uh, Los Angeles, and suddenly you know I'd read the book and 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 yeah, I totally immersed myself in lots of different books, of course. And you know, I say you can't learn to swim by reading a book. You've got to get in the water. Um, but I was just astounded when uh, this first event I went to kicked off and people were just talking about coaching fees that were, you know, <laughs> the price of a small house. And yet, um, I guess I've always, um, despite being quite quiet and reserved or seemingly so, I always found it pretty easy to connect with people. I think people generally do relax with me. It's probably why I do okay in this work. But... Um, soon enough it came came became obvious to me that all is not what it seems and you know it it pains me but there are people out there suggesting that they are charging hundred thousand for coaching when really they weren't you know they were <laughs> so which is why i just i i like if you if we we do it of course we do i think i do it much less and i have again have a different relationship with that but it's just absolutely pointless to compare how we feel inside with what it looks like somebody's life is like on the outside absolutely pointless in fact it is gonna i just think it's almost a form of self-abuse really yeah yeah it's 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 hopeless it's a hopeless uh, practice um the the two things that come to mind here one is that i've learned through experiences like the one we're talking about is only compare myself to myself that, that's it that's the only comparison i hold 
prepare myself as myself. So, for you, what what changed for you to 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 move from struggling to yeah getting to to the point where okay, I am able to create clients here. I have I am able to serve people and I am generating an income. What changed? Just um, it's an overused uh, saying, but I think it's just I started to believe in myself. I started to believe in the changes my clients were making, and I started to believe in what I could uh, offer people. Um, a big thing uh, was like a question that I've kind of constantly been asking myself because um, if, if I hire a coach, um, which I do, I've had several coaches over the years, there's one thing that's really important and that is, like, is their silence as powerful as their words? So I came to that place, really, where I felt like my silence was as powerful as my words. And then if you want another word for silence could be your presence. And then my words came from that place and I met people in that place. And I think people felt like they were seen, felt like they were heard, felt like they were met. And I think that's such a rare gift for people, isn't it? To be in a place that's safe, where they can be seen, heard and met and they can you know, communicate their innermost longings, but their innermost struggles as well. And, you know, without judgment. So, yeah, I think that was the shift that happened as I kind of came back and reconnected with myself and I let go of all of that um, stuff that I was supposed to be. So I'm tempted to sit here in silence for a while now, but anyway. So, um yeah. <laughs> one thing there that's easy for us also to gloss over or just to, to pass over rather not gloss over but just pass over is there's really no substitute for experience is there i mean of course we can we can have realizations insights and powerful shifts like i had one conversation with a coach a few years ago and it's just like i don't know it just seemed to change the whole landscape of how i saw life for sure and yet that would be nothing without experience if it wasn't using that. Yeah. 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 That, that's what you uh, bring to the table ultimately is your experience. Um, because, you know, I think um, what I said before about your silence being as powerful as your words, your, your silence, your presence comes from how you've um, taken your experiences, navigated them, learned from them, integrated them. And that's what you kind of bring to the uh, table, mm. isn't it? That's, that's, that's what you bring. So um, I'll be open here because uh, somebody asked me a, a question. I don't know if I, when I'm putting this particular episode out. Am I? <laughs> so the, the re episode I'm going to refer to, which I haven't recorded yet, might have already gone out by the time this goes out. But anyway, so um, and ask me anything. And somebody... Um, one of my friends, Adam Quiney, who's actually been a previous guest on the podcast, asked me, what's the thing that I find still I still struggle with? Yeah. And um, for me, mine is definitely the consistency. 
I, I, I know how to create clients for sure. But what goes on, and obviously uh, I will expand on this in, in the episode um, in, in and of itself, but I definitely allow other aspects of my life to distract me from my business. So I've had periods of time, uh, indeed like the very end of last year and the start of this year, where I did nothing as far as business development goes. So I was just riding really through on clients that had paid you know, significant amount for a year ahead and what have you. And, and, um, what that means is there can still be these periods of feast and famine. Yes. And, um, so it's funny really to sit here and share that with you. Cause it's like, do I struggle with that? Well, in a way, even struggle doesn't necessarily feel true because there's an element of choosing that goes on there. You know, but if there, if there's one thing that I would like to be different about, I was going to say about my business, but ultimately is about me, it would be that consistency. So, um, sharing that up front, I wonder what that is for you. What's, what's, what, how is life and business now? And what is it that you would like to be different? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a uh, dreadful procrastinator. Um, that's, um, you know, I don't know if I mentioned previously, but um, actually this year has been one of the most difficult years I've had. Um, I got um, diagnosed, late diagnosis with um, ADHD, um, which I didn't, I mean, looking back in hindsight, it's obvious it's always been there. But this year I experienced a... Um, kind of spike in it, the kind of heightened episode. So I was doing things like uh, forgetting to put things in my uh, calendar. I was getting uh, text messages from clients saying, oh, you know, I'm, I'm waiting, you know, I'm, you know, where are you? And I hadn't put it in my uh, calendar. So th- there was, you know, kind of this chaos going on. You know, the, it, like the procrastination was worse than uh, usual. Usually what I, I do is um, I procrastinate, but then I go into a productivity burst. So I still do things like I write book, you know, I, I create clients, I run a uh, therapy practice, um, you know, I take care of my uh, family, stuff like that. But my procrastination time uh, was in the past, like uh, breaks from that. It was like, right, I'm just going to go into my procrastination bubble where I, uh, read BBC Sport for uh, half an hour, you know, or something like that. Yeah. But um, this year, it kind of got to the place where I'd spend like all morning on BBC Sport and not doing the things that I, you know, should do. So it was quite alarming at first, but then, you know, I, I eventually got myself a professional assessment. Oh, you know, I've got ADHD. So it, it made me um, understand that there's a um, condition here that um, all my life I've been kind of battling with and was probably a big part of uh, why I got into um, drugs in the first place because there's certain um, brain circuits that are not as strong as in uh, neurotypical folks, uh, shall we say. So I would say I've only just realised it, but mm. that condition um, is, my, is my struggle. That's the label for my uh, struggle yeah and i can i can really see um how 
having that awareness then gives us a choice to stop resisting and really embrace instead. And then yeah. instead of instead of you know battling, I think that's a word you've used, and uh, struggling to work with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing that I would say has shifted is that I no longer feel um, shame or judgment about that aspect of me. I actually need that um, time where I kind of disappear into uh, that bubble. So, you know, quite often I see coaches posting these uh, memes of um, like sort of two houses. One will be like a terraced house with a moped outside. Another will be some like uh, villa with a yeah, Lamborghini outside. And, uh, you know, it says, you know, watches Netflix, reads books or something like that. <laughs> Do you know the memes I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, <clears throat> yeah, it, it really just comes back to that thing of being authentically you, you, yourself. It, it's like when I'm in that place of... Um, I don't even call it procrastination anymore. When I'm in my, you know, kind of disconnection bubble, that's just where I need to be. And when I go there, you know, there's no getting through to me. My wife will come and say, hey, you know, what do you think of uh, this, you know, wardrobe I've seen in, in Ikea? Well, yeah, it's just... <laughs> you know, who, do you think, who do you think is going to be the next Man United manager? I mean, by the way, who do you think is going to be the next Man United manager? Uh, <laughs> permanent, Pochettino, permanent probably, manager. Yeah. Probably Pochettino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that's yeah. I was just going to say to to me, like, there's a you can look at that. We can look at things like that as as flaws, which is pretty unhelpful. Yeah. Uh, I think you know one of my memes. When I used to create lots of memes, as uh, all flaws are imagined. There's just it can only be a flaw if you want to look at it that way. Um, there's some intelligence in that, that that's, that's a way that you, the system, the human and spiritual holistic system that Hugh is taking care of himself. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and one, one thing, uh, one of my teachers, um, said to me in the early days, cause I was in yeah, Thailand and India, so I had gurus, so to speak. One of them said, um, you know, everything is a vehicle. Everything is a, a gateway, if you choose to see it as such. Hmm. So it took a long time with that, you know, thing that I used to call procrastination to actually see it as something that's actually essential for uh, my self-soothing, my regulation, and like right now, as I'm speaking this, I can I can hear voices of um, friendships past, past mm. being, you know, the the word. Oh well, you know, you can do yoga or meditation for that. Well, I don't fucking want to do that. Mm. I want to watch, you know, I want to watch Netflix or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's another thing. You know, just. Actually, being natural. Uh, you know, it's really hard work to spend your life attempting to transcend being human, right? Oh. I, I, I think it's it's life's so much easier. 
<laughs> I'm sure I've mentioned this numerous times before. Like the, the first spiritual book I was ever given was in 1998, and um, it was uh, M. Scott Peck's Road Less Traveled. The yeah. opening, the opening three words: "Life is difficult." And then you know yes. he goes on to explain how it is, but uh, how accepting that makes it easier. And it's like I can I can reflect on my spiritual journey in quotes, which was spiritual journey, um, and 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 just see how much time and effort that I've put into trying to manage my experience and trying to transcend it. And it's really, gosh, very much probably the last even just the last four or five years, I've really all been about. Huh, loving it all. And I, I don't mean love as in enjoying it, but loving it as in the absence of resistance. So, you know, there's been times when I have felt absolutely um, appalled, absolutely heartbroken. And yet uh, now I notice the voice that still says, it's okay to feel that way, rather than the voice that's saying, come on, Phil, you can, you can rise above this. It's like, no, allow yourself to really be in it. And to me, that's such a liberating shift. Yeah. Such a beautiful, liberating shift. Yeah. Uh, I might even suggest that perhaps a, a, an idea I'm toying with here is that maybe all spirituality is kind of egotistic in a way. <laughs> a lot of it is. I mean, most days uh, when I uh, go to work, I go past a big uh, cemetery. And there's people uh, there who've had a few hundred years to um, contemplate the uh, struggles that we um, have. Yeah, if, I, if I have a headstone, it might say something like this. It might say, transcended. Um, I'm reflecting on those things that are troubling you now. You know, feel sad. Go and have a burger. You know, I, <laughs> I think um, there's uh, so much um, uh, richness in the kind of full experience of life. Why, why waste it kind of trying to arrive at a place of um, nothing and transcendence? Mm. You know, that's, that comes at the end. You know, I'll, I'll disappoint the nothing at the end. What I get about you is I think you, you have already said this, of course, just how important it is to be happy. Yes, to um, perhaps make happiness a priority not necessarily something you chase yeah but instead of uh, uh, certainly this is, I, i'm noticing this with myself as well more and more in fact um i don't know whether it's an age thing a maturity thing or maybe i'm just becoming more woke i, I totally joke when i say that um, <laughs> but i notice I'm, I'm such a huge fan of simplicity and how i would like my life to be now is much more simple than I thought what I wanted, than I thought I wanted, how I wanted it to be, perhaps even just 20 years ago. I love that saying, it's definitely not mine, but it's just like, gosh, I'm so, I'm so glad I didn't end up with what I, what I thought I wanted. Yes. So, and I, and I, I think I see that in you. Um, yeah, the importance of happiness and, and the simplicity, because I'm you're sure you're, you're like me. Like I, I could have a bigger business and sometimes I want a bigger business and yet ultimately like I do. Okay. And, um, <laughs> it's funny really, because, uh, I'm also going to just acknowledge 
how incredibly difficult it is to measure your overall happiness because um, currently at the time of our recording, I'm staying on the island of Zakynthos in a in a resort which is all about tourism. So it is like a ghost town. It's completely deserted. And sometimes I really love it. And yet there have been also been times where, God, I felt really alone. And periods of lonely, a period of feeling lonely. Like I've been alone walking along the beach and been euphoric at being alone. And uh, so I was just going to talk about like... Um, yeah, simplicity, am I happier now? And yeah, I also want to acknowledge that I was talking to a friend, maybe even just yesterday or the day before, about, well, I notice when I'm feeling low, I start to wonder, oh, was I happier back then? But when I look with a clearer state of mind, I also notice, gosh, life was really complicated then. You know, life yes. really was complicated then. And then, of course, there is this thing, fading effect bias, where we can remember things, times being much better and us being happier than we actually were. Hence the phrase, you know, the good old days. Yes. What do you, what do you make, what do you make of all of that? Like just, uh, just reflecting on how life is for you right now and, and what is, yeah, what really, what it really is important. Mm. It's, it's really interesting as I was listening to you then because I got a sense of like how in the time we've mentioned when I first met you, just how far I'd kind of drifted away and how glad I am I didn't get what I thought I wanted. So the kind of coach or, you know, person who was running those events, um, they used to say something. They used to say, like, if you can reach your goal on your own without a team, you're not dreaming big enough. <laughs> so, so, of course, I took that uh, on board. I think sometimes you just have to go, like, sort of so far from uh, home, you know, before you realise actually what it is that's uh, really important to you and yeah simplicity you're right a meme i saw which again it really did have me actually laugh out loud um i saw it on on facebook it said something like um people who suggest go big or go home clearly have no idea of the strength of my desire to go home. Like literally that's the, <laughs> thing I, that's the only thing I want to do is to go home. And I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But having, having said that, like it, it uh, gosh, I, I notice I'm, I can be very cynical, but also realist, you know, there's, um, it can sell a lot of coach training, right? When you, when you, when you're talking to people's insecurities yes. and, um, you know, people suggesting that the only reason why coaches are not successful is uh, a lack of grounding. And of course, the person who said that is is selling grounding. <laughs> so it's always really yeah. worth, <laughs> worth, worth considering that. I wonder for you, though, Hugh, I know you, you have no interest in, in coaching other coaches, but I wonder... Here's here's uh, uh, an opportunity to express an opinion. What do you think, um, as a, as a specialist in addictions, what do you think 
we are as perhaps aspiring coaches are addicted to is there an addiction that play there which perhaps is is keeping those aspiring coaches from happiness most certainly um there's there's many there's the um addiction to um a kind of perfection to motivating themselves through what other people see um there's addictions to ideals of what it looks like there's there's one coach on uh, facebook who um you know constantly posts um pictures of his um you know his supercar collection and um you know never fails to uh, check in in the first class lounge when he's flying <laughs> and you know think, things like that um and you know i i don't know i don't know him maybe he's really happy in that place but i think what we're what we're missing is just the what we talked about today just the the simplicity you know coming back to yourself what makes you really happy because i think that's ultimately what makes a uh, successful uh, coach is that you're happy in yourself and you know you've got a system going in your own life that works because if you haven't got a system going in your own life that works then you know what are you fuck all used to anyone really let's be honest you know you're just a walking sort of uh, babble of um you know sound bites you've got to have a system going that that works that doesn't mean a perfect system you know we all carry um certain struggles that we need to endure but have you got a system that works focus on that with all that noise and distractions and everything it is very easy to overlook the value of just being human and um, being happy and connecting with people and uh, yeah to, to be distracted by the dazzle and yet you know for me coaching is definitely one of the most intimate relationships that you can have in your life so um you know anybody listening to this kind of aspiring or to me the the biggest piece around building a coaching practice is a connection very much around connection and people connect to the humanness that we so often try to hide yeah, that's what people connect to most. Who hey, I appreciate you. Um, it's an hour uh, that we've been chatting, um, and it's flown by. Yeah, I haven't asked this for a while. Gosh, and we just want to finish with this question. Offer you an opportunity to reflect on it. So, for you, what is the purpose of your of your coaching? The purpose of my coaching. <sighs> That's a good question. I'd say mainly it's about helping people to find a way to bring peace to the disunity that's within them. Yeah, not necessarily to be in perfect peace, like some kind of 
contrived Zen image, but to find a way to be at peace with the disunity that's within them. And sometimes that requires big actions, difficult decisions, uh, things like that. But that's really all that we want, is to come to peace within ourselves. I think even the people who have the strangest ways of going about it. Isn't that what we, we all want? I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me, too. me too. Thank you so much, Hugh. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Coaching Life podcast. I'd love to know what are you taking away from this conversation and how will you use that? Email us at coachinglife at philg.com. I've been having coaching conversations and coaching people for over 30 years and have been coaching professionally, being paid as a coach for over 16 years. If you'd like to explore having me in your corner and as your mentor in building your practice and your prosperous coaching life, my six month coaching life unleashed program may be perfect for you. It has just four openings each year as I only work with two other coaches at a time. Drop me an email if you'd like more details or to set up a call to explore to see if this highly personalized intensive coaching and mentorship program will be a fit for you in creating and developing your prosperous coaching life. And finally, if you're enjoying these conversations, please share them with your friends and your community and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. It makes a huge difference in helping other people like you get an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. I wish you much love, prosperity, and joy.